a big thank you to all my patrons who support the Engineer Mind podcast. Hi and welcome to the Engineer Mind podcast episode 57. In this podcast we cover topics such as engineering, AI, neuroscience, life, and other interesting topics and fascinating ideas to educate, inspire, and engineer people's minds all around the world. I'm your host, Yusuf, and for this episode of the podcast, I'm very excited to welcome Bilal Zaidi to my show. Bilal is the founder and CEO of the great podcast Creator Lab. He's a multi-time entrepreneur and creator, having previously built and scaled a successful e-commerce store as a teen and led partnership teams at Google and charity Water. Creator Lab is a podcast and digital marketing consultancy. On his weekly podcast, Bilal interviews world-class creators and entrepreneurs to break down the tactics behind how they build their businesses. Creator Lab has been listened to in over 100 countries and featured world-renowned guests from Gary Vee to Anthony Pomp Pompliano and Jack Butcher. In this very interesting podcast, we covered entrepreneurship, marketing, branding and business positioning, quitting the red race, how to become successful in today's world, how to embrace embarrassment and so much more. For updates on upcoming podcasts, projects and videos, make sure to follow me on Twitter as well as on Instagram. To join my weekly newsletter, engineandmind.sh, where I share exclusive content, visit yusuf.substack.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's my podcast with Bilal Zaidi. Okay, welcome Bilal. It's very nice to have you on my show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate the invite. Awesome. So I'm very much appreciating your time being on the show and talking about marketing today and a lot of other stuff. But before we jump into that, people who might not know who Bilal is, can you talk about who you are, what you do, and talk a little bit about your podcast, Creator Lab? Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, so I'm Bilal Zaidi. I'm based in New York nowadays, but as you can probably tell, I'm originally from London. I grew up in, in London anyway. Uh, my parents are originally Pakistani. That's where my name comes from. And um, so, yeah, I guess today we're in 2021. I currently run a podcast called Creator Lab where I interview mostly entrepreneurs, but I've had all sorts of people from investors. I've even had like Hollywood actresses and mentalists, uh, all sorts of people, but all around this theme of entrepreneurship, business and creating things. Um, so that's the, the podcast that we can definitely dig into that a little bit more later. Um, I also run a digital marketing agency consultancy, basically. So I work mostly with um, VC-backed startups who are in growth mode. So um, they've already figured out by this stage, like some sort of product market fit, and they want to scale that out to more people. So that's kind of why I help with. Um, before that, I spent most of my career at Google. I was there for seven and a half years. Uh, Google and YouTube, and then also a couple years at a nonprofit called Charity Water, which was trying to end the world war crisis around the world. So that's most of my professional background. And then before that, just it's probably worth mentioning, I also was kind of like a teenage entrepreneur. So at the age of 16, I started uh, e-commerce, small e-commerce in air quotes. It wasn't like a huge, huge business, but helped me pay through university and taught me a lot. So I had an e-commerce business and also an online uh, publisher. So I had a big Arsenal football website, which uh, had about half a million users on it. Um, so yeah, if you look back, it's a combination of this. Um, so there's a bunch of noise out there. <laughs> but yeah, there's a combination of online growing stuff, working with big companies and startups, and then a little bit of nonprofit and my own projects. Yeah, that's great. Also, I heard from another podcast that you have some kind of an entrepreneurial background from your dad. So you kind of inherited it from him, right? Yeah, a little bit. So the, the thing with my dad is he's never actually, I mean, he did actually start a restaurant or he was part of a restaurant in, in Pakistan, but he, um, he didn't he didn't actually ever start a company but he invested quite well so from quite a young age he taught me like the importance of balancing the book every month your bu monthly budget um by the way is this like really loud and distracting because no, 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 like i think this is okay. fine this is fine i guess okay cool cool sorry if we if we need to restart but yeah there was there's a van that does this once in a while they come and like play loud music for some reason <laughs> sorry about that so okay. anyway <laughs> But yeah, so um, so I'll just say that last point again in case we want to edit that out. But yeah, so my dad um, never actually started a company necessarily, but he um, taught me a lot about investing quite early on. Um, so he, he worked in banking and he would like 
help me look at like the monthly budget every month for our household. And he would also say stuff like, um, make me look at like shares that he'd invested in and then eventually real estate and property, which is what um, they've been focused on for the last 20 years. Incredibly interesting. Um, I read on your personal website that the genesis of Credit Lab basically evolved through meeting people who are unhappy with their life or with their lives. Uh, do you think this is also, does it also fit to you? In particular yeah it was actually probably more so me at the time i was probably more the person who was unhappy and the people i was um interviewing were people who seemed to have figured something out that i hadn't so that was more the way around so yeah at that stage when i started it was 2015 um i was you know on the outside everything looked pretty good i worked at google for five years i was earning six-figure salary um everything looked pretty good right but um, on the inside, I was kind of like a little bit depressed, uh, didn't really have much meaning. I was like really bored at work. I wasn't learning anymore. Um, and I was doing all the things that, you know, people do when they're bored. So <laughs> getting very unhealthy, like not a very good thing. So I kind of needed something else to, to like see examples of something outside of my day to day. And, and that's kind of what helped me get out of that slump. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy actually that you did it because when I listen to your podcast, for example, the last episode I listened to was the one with Jack Butcher and I hope to have him on my show maybe in the future. Let's see maybe if he sees the podcast. Um, and actually you inspire quite a lot of people, I would say, including myself. And if you wouldn't have taken the step to become like this kind of entrepreneurial Bilal, how we know him today, it would have been a pity in my opinion. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it a lot. And yeah, it, it's kind of part of my longer term vision i guess is like in my tiny little way even if if it's you and one other person who listens that's already worthwhile you know because it it definitely takes a lot of time and energy and sometimes we spend 10 15 20 hours even on one episode because it takes time researching recording for a few hours editing sometimes 10 hours we turn those into clips write about it but you know to me it's, i've had to make the mental switch around if I was doing this purely for money, I would stop. I would have stopped doing it a long time ago. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot better ways to make money, but I have to like enjoy the craft of doing it. So even stuff like editing, I now have an editor, but in the beginning I learned how to edit and I taught myself the creative skills to do that. And I see that as kind of like a fun craft to develop. Um, and it's part of storytelling, which maybe we'll talk about uh, as well today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, when it comes to the framework of growing, um, I have put some notes down, which is including branding, marketing, how to actually stand out and humility. I think humility is something which a lot of people don't think about. Let's start maybe with branding. What What is your opinion on branding? How important is it to grow actually? Yeah, and when you say grow, do you mean uh, a company, my podcast or like personally, like I guess it's, it can be applied to all three of those, but what, did you have like a lens you were thinking from? Actually, I was uh, uh, thinking about all those three. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so I'd say like generally branding, I think is incredibly important. And I think um, I would put branding and marketing kind of like side by side because um, I think brand to me is really about how what people see and feel about your brand, you know, so whether that's the brand of Bilal or the brand of Crater Lab or the brand of Nike, um, when I say Nike, there's an image that pops up in your head and it's probably come from 20 plus years of um, ads you've seen on TV, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and football stars on TV wearing Nike and sharing those epic stories. Um, so I think that's the kind of like fluffy stuff, which is really important, but like the storytelling part. Um, but I think a lot of people think of that from a company point of view as, oh, that's the branding department's job. Like let them just go and deal with the brand, like make something pretty and put it out on a TV ad or YouTube ad nowadays. But I, I think branding actually starts from the very top, like the founder, the CEO has to prioritize it. And I've seen examples where you can tell the founder really cares versus ones who it's not in their DNA to care about that. And I could give a couple of examples in a second, but you see the difference. And um, yeah, so I think creating a, a beautiful brand is incredibly important, but there's a fine line with everything, right? Like sometimes someone can stop them from, from starting because they're trying to figure out the brand from day one and they just don't even launch anything. Um, so I think there's a fine line between um, creating something that's perfect and something that's something you're proud of at a high level. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I think of branding and the importance of it. Definitely. Uh, what would you say when people think about Bilal himself? What do people think about? For example, when I heard Bilal, I know Creator Lab. I know how the thumbnails look like. I know what you wear, what kind of microphone you have, that it's always in the same position. Is it part of branding? That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because you're actually right, right? Like right now I'm wearing the same yes. uh, thing. And I don't actually do that. Well, that's funny because one part is because it's one of the few things I wear at home because nowadays we're recording at home that isn't a hoodie, you know, like I, sometimes I wear a hoodie as well. But um, so it is something I think about. I try not to overthink it. Um, I think the mic positioning and the background um, is more like once I've got a template, I just try to not think about it anymore. You know, so in the beginning, I thought about it. Normally, there's actually a chair behind me, which isn't there today. But mm. like those are things I thought about the frame and the quality of the sound and all those things. Um, but I think there's a difference between like what you think of Bilal when you interview me and follow me from afar versus obviously what my friend would think, uh, colleagues would think, family would think. So I, I'd answer your question, what do people think? I, I've actually done this exercise where I've written it out, where I've kind of asked people and I've thought about it myself. And it's quite a good exercise because you realize what you think of yourself, it often isn't the same. Um, and that's, that's normally just a good thing to know. So I think from very early on, like a young age, I was always known within my friend group as someone who was quite tech savvy. So that they were, I was the one they came to, to like burn CDs and like make music CDs, right? Or my computer's broken, how do I do this? Or I'm thinking about getting this phone, like what do you think about it? So that's always been the case for a long time. Then by the time I landed at Google, that became a big part of my brand, so to speak. And from my friend group that weren't in Google anyway. Um, and, and obviously, you know, that's a slightly conscious, but it also became part of my reality, right? Like I was there for seven and a half years from age 21 to 28. That's like, you know, some of the most formative years of your life. So uh, my work life definitely became a big part of my brand. Uh, but I always was quite conscious of not making that like, you know, the only thing you think about because as much as I love Google and I think they've done an incredible job, like I'm not just a pure Google person. I tried to take what I learned from Google, which is how do you think with data? How do you think about scale at a next level? How do you keep improving things, open source, all those things that we think about with, uh, with the internet. Maybe the perception of Google is a bit different now, but I'm saying 10 years ago, that was uh, kind of what it was. Um, but then, you know, if you look at all my friends who are still at Google, they're not really doing what I'm doing. It's a very different sort of lifestyle, right? Like they're working now at a very big company with 100,000 plus people. Um, I'm working in a company of one. So <laughs> it's a very different uh, sort of vibe. Um, so now I think I've become more known for, you know, the, the, the intersection of business and creativity is what I think a lot of people think about now, um, or I'd hope to anyway, from the people I interview. You know, there's always that business lens, which is like numbers driven. How do we get stuff done? What's the product like? What's the stuff we can learn from technology frameworks and startup frameworks? I love that stuff. But also I can talk to Tim Urban for an hour about how he writes, you know, and like that to me is as interesting as anything because the creative part is the part you can't really replicate that easily. So um, and, and a lot of people don't know this, but I'm I have a bit of that creative part in me, too. So. I write a lot. I used to even perform spoken word poetry at some point where I would go and like perform stuff in front of people. And it was like my creative art form. Um, I love stand up comedy. Like these are the things that like actually entertain me day to day. So um, that's probably what I'd say I'd land in between those two things. Mm -hmm. Would you say you flourish more now, now that you left your classical nine to five, how people like to call it? Yeah, I mean, it's, I'd say I don't regret like doing that stuff because it was it gave me a foundation to build on top of. I'm also not against people having jobs. I think yeah. jobs are incredible. If you get a good job, uh, uh, there's a lot of benefits to it. Uh, at the moment, yeah, for my current stage of life, the current mind uh, space I'm in, I love kind of what I'm doing right now because I get more freedom. I get to choose what I work on. I get to choose the clients that I work on when, when that happens as well. Um, I fill my days with stuff that are like entertaining my mind, you know, so and, and but I needed to do the 10, 15 years worth of work before that to kind of get in the position to be able to do this now, you know. So uh, and who's, who knows, maybe in the future that changes if I had kids, which I don't at the moment, 
maybe um, that kind of separation between work and play is is more important to me. Um, and I want to be able to finish at 6 p.m. every day and get on with my normal home life. But at the moment, you know, especially in the last year, man, we're just being at home, right? Like I haven't done much. I've been stuck at home for like a year pretty much. So um, like everyone else. So, so to me, there is no like separation right now. Like sometimes I work until 2 a.m. in the morning and some days I won't work until 2 p.m. because I want to like read a book or mm-hmm. go for a walk. So that to me at this current stage, that's kind of freedom that I'm looking for, you know? Um, and, and of course the other stuff is money. Like I'm not gonna pretend money is not important, it is. Like I wanna make money, but I'm not optimizing primarily for maximizing income either because I've just seen too many people who do that that are very unhappy. So I'm optimizing primarily for happiness, learning, flexibility, and close second is income. But I think being self-employed, you have a lot more upside with income anyway, because you know, even just from a straight up client work side, like if I have a job, I have one client basically, as you listened to the convo with Jack Butcher, right? We talked about that. Uh, so I could have three, four or five clients now if I wanted to. So it's just, it just depends on how you see it. Yeah. And I also think you mentioned uh, work and play. And there's this famous quote from Naval Ravikant, uh, who I think said, if you find something that looks like work to others, but play to you, then you kind of made it. Do you Completely. feel, do you feel in the position, being in the position right now where this uh, um, is true? No, I wouldn't say I'm completely there. I, I love Naval's quotes for sure. And I think he's an incredibly wise guy, but I will say sometimes people take, not saying you're doing this, but a lot of people hear the one beautiful tweet and they see it in absolutes. They're, they're like, well, this is, if I'm not playing all the time, that means I haven't made it. And to yeah. me, it's always, you know, this. I'm sure there's stuff in Naval's day he doesn't like to do either, right? Maybe he's close to not doing that. But I'd say for me, I'd say I'm like 70% the way there. And mm. uh, the other 30% is always stuff. There's always gonna be something I don't love doing and that evolves over time too. But I've, I've done a pretty good job of limiting that now as much as I can. Um, but that's going to change, you know, like for the, for example, the podcast, like that 20 hours worth of work, like I said, let's say eight or 10 hours of that is editing. I've now outsourced that and I'm happy to pay someone to do that because that's 10 hours that I don't need to do it. And it's it, like, I don't actually mind the editing, but it just takes too much time. So that those 10 hours are better used playing in another way. Yeah, that makes complete sense. When it comes to marketing, and you also mentioned digital marketing, which channels would you personally use? Let's say you start from scratch and you would have to build your brand from scratch again. Which channels would you use for marketing purposes or advertisement? Yeah, for sure. So again, I would always start this with like, who is it for and like what resources do they have? So if it was for me as an individual, let's say I don't have any money to spend on ads or very limited versus a client of mine who has raised a hundred million dollars in, in a venture funding, they're in a position where they can afford to spend money. So I would start before we even talk about spending money though, is like, what is the message? Like, have you actually figured out something that is useful to people? Mm-hmm. And have you clearly defined who those people are? Because one of the things I think I did um, that I've improved over time with the podcast is I've like really honed into the sort of person who likes my stuff. So I can generally tell you the people that listen to my show like entrepreneurship, they have a sprinkle of that creativity in them. Uh, they might be technology focused, but not always. Like they, they are at least interested in how technology can be used. Um, and they're probably into like personal development and growth, right? Like personal growth. And those are things I, I care about too. So that's kind of who I, I made it for someone like me. And I know there's millions of people out there that are just like me. So, um, so I would start with that point. Like, do I know who the person is? Because then the marketing part uh, or the digital marketing part, the way we're defining it here becomes a lot easier because the more tightly you've defined that sort of person, the easier it is to go and find them and figure out, you know, you go through the playbook, like where do those people hang out? So for my podcast, a lot of those people are hanging out on Twitter. So I've become a lot more active on Twitter in the last like three, four months, you'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, But for a company I work with, that might be LinkedIn. Uh, it might be on YouTube. So it's, I wouldn't say there's like necessarily one place. Um, and, and, and another thing I'll add on marketing specifically, similar to what I said about branding, I would say similarly and even more so for marketing is I see marketing as like part of every part of the org. So like if I'm the CEO, 
I would look at, yeah, I've got a marketing department that is like, you know, running shop for the, the whole company, but customer service is a part of marketing. Like the way you're, if you've got, if you've ever had a phone call with a bank and you've had a terrible experience on the phone, like that is a marketing problem. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's part customer service problem, but the marketing team should be involved in that, in my opinion, or a marketing mind should be involved in that. The product, the, the way you open a physical product, that is part marketing. The storytelling that goes into that, the banner ad you see on the internet, obviously is also marketing. Um, so there's so many parts. So I just see anything that is customer facing, externally facing, I think there's an eye that a marketer can say, is this still aligned with what we promised our customer? Do you know what I mean? Like if we, because like I'll give one specific example. There's a company I've worked with in the past. They were just trying to drive signups for their product, right? And they found like an engineer said, well, if we just put a pop-up on the screen when they, when they get to this page, they're going to have to sign up to like join. And I just said, well, yeah, but like, are they going to come back? Are they actually going to do, there's going to be people that drop off. So your artificial number would increase in the short term, but long term, what do they feel about the brand? Do they actually want to, have you, have we done the work to give them the taste of what we're going to promise them later? So it's just stuff like that. I think it's about thinking long term mm -hmm. and, and figuring out like, who is that customer? What do they care about? Have you defined the problem for them? And then, then the, the, once you've understood that, then you can storytell and you can tell them very in simple terms, this is the problem we know you have because you've done the work to figure that out. And these are the ways we're going to help you. And, and that's the marketing part from a theoretical standpoint. Then you get into all the tactics and you get into the media buying and is Facebook ads better than Google ads and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so we can definitely go into that. I'm happy to share my experience on that. But I think before you even get to that stage, you need to figure out the first part, which is a part of the marketing too. Mm -hmm. So first defining the target persona, basically. Persona and yeah, the way, the way I've done it before, there's something called the objective first framework that I've used from, this is borrowed from General Assembly, but you're essentially starting with the objective, mm -hmm. you know, and in other companies, people use OKRs, you know, yes. like objective and key results, it's the same sort of thing. But you're really saying, so even for a marketing goal, like you have to be very specific with what that is and you have to rank, you have to make primary KPIs, right? So you, your objective could be, we want to sign up people right to our site of course everyone wants to sign people up to their product mm -hmm. but what is that where is that specific marketing campaign because there's multiple campaigns running at once is that where is that on the funnel is that awareness is it interest is it desire is it action so that's the traditional marketing funnel ada right mm -hmm. so if it's a, an awareness campaign the KPI that you're going to set for that, the primary KPI should only be one KPI. And that normally, if it's an awareness campaign, it's not a conversion. It's not someone signing up to your site. It's normally, did, how many people did we reach? How many people got to the landing page? Did they stay on the page? Did they read what we wanted them to read? Did they watch the video that we created? And that's the first touch point because most businesses don't convert someone straight away. When I say convert, meaning sign up in this case, it could be a sale, it could be a sign up. Uh, but if that's like a consumer facing, if you think of a B2B company, an agency or like, a, a, you know, Salesforce, Salesforce doesn't, you don't just click an ad on Salesforce and then sign up for a $200,000 contract, right? Like there's a whole sales process there. So I think that's the, it's, it's all for me, it's the approach is always starting with those principles. The ADA funnel works still. It's not like we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Other people call it like there's a flywheel and all this different stuff. Like that's, that's fine. Like you can use that too. But really it's about, does someone know who I am? Are they interested in what we're selling? And now have we convinced them to, to buy from us? And then you can get to like retention. Will they spread it to their friends? Uh, how we get them to, will they purchase multiple times? So that, that's kind of how I think about it. But I think sometimes people overcomplicate that. And, and they use all this jargon. And in reality, like you just need to be more precise with the goal and make sure the way you're measuring it is, is set up correctly as well. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense, Bill. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, well, you few seconds you mentioned that you and your podcast trying to stand out is quite a far because a lot of people have this kind of overlap between business and interested in podcast. How do you actually stand out? Let's now take branding aside. How do you actually stand out in today's world? Because in one podcast, I think you mentioned that even if someone from YouTube or Google would start a channel today, it doesn't guarantee that they will actually even reach 1,000 oh, subscribers. Yeah. Completely. I, I mean, the skills you learn at a big company are 
very valuable. Like I'm not saying that those, those people are some of the smartest people in the world. They've gone to the top schools. They've got A's since they're like six years old. Very smart people. But being smart is not enough to create something. Like create, if you look at entrepreneurs, it's not based on just being smart. You need to be smart enough, but there's other parts that uh, make, make those people successful. So uh, a lot of that is mental. So that's why in my interviews, you'll hear me talk a lot about like struggles and stuff that you've had to overcome, not just in like the PR way of, oh, like you had a bad time and you cried and now look, you're a billionaire. No, mm -hmm. I'm saying like, you're still struggling with this today. Like the episode I just put out um, this week, Nick Huber, who's really big in the real estate game, this guy was talking about crying on the side of a street, like calling his mom up on the phone. You know, like he wasn't saying that to look good. Do you know what I mean? It was like the real deal. So a lot of those people, and I'm not picking on Google, I'm saying anyone who's more suited to a job day to day, and that's nothing wrong with that. Th those people don't necessarily have the flexibility or the, the mindset to be able to deal with looking like an idiot, falling on your face 10 times, convincing people of stuff and they keep saying no and yeah. having thick skin to be able to deal with that. That's a very specific skill set for entrepreneurship in my opinion. And I think there's a lot of, um, I think entrepreneurship is kind of cool nowadays and it has been for, for maybe 10, 15 years. Um, but like if you go back 30 years ago, our parents, uh, I don't want to judge, but like I'm sure your parents may be the same. Like they were like, be an engineer or be a doctor or something safe, right? Like you make a good life for yourself. That was good advice 20, 30 years ago. But, um, and, and actually today it's probably still great advice for most people. But for someone like me, that wasn't going to be the thing. Like I've, I'm like way too wacky to be stuck in doing the same thing every day. So it's just, yeah, it depends on, on the person and what they uh, care about, what motivates them, what gives them energy. Um, and yeah, so I think a lot of the things that I learned at Google, let's say, I couldn't really replicate in my own work because they were made for people with a million followers already or a million pounds or dollars already when you're starting from zero, you have to do different things. You have to do things that don't scale, like you'll hear people talk about. And that means DMing people and sharing your podcast and like replying to people who you don't know on the internet and doing podcasts with them. Like, you know what I mean? So like that is something that takes up time and energy and, and you have to have figured out the motivation to do that. Do you get what I mean? And a lot of people, they come from a big company where everything already works and they're like, oh, well I did this for a few months and it didn't work, so I'm just not gonna do it anymore. And and sometimes that's great, but for a lot of people, that's because they didn't realize the skill is a completely different skill. Absolutely, and I think also when it, because you talked about humility, it's something that I also noticed when I had like three, 400 subscribers. It's like, you kind of want to share what you're actually doing, but you're kind of feeling bad because you only have 300 subscribers, but it's yeah. the humility to actually move forward to actually, I think this is also one of the reasons because a lot of people don't start because they don't want to be seen at the bottom and that's why they don't even start yeah something. yeah completely and, and that's exactly you're right man it's like it's the embarrassment man it's like it's the same problems we have not just in creating a youtube channel or a podcast it's the same problem we have in everyday life it's the same reason people don't ask out the girl or the guy that mm -hmm. they like to go for dinner like because they're worried about what it's going to feel like when they say no Right. They don't want to apply for the job because they're worried about getting rejection letter. That's completely understandable. And that comes from thousands of years of us developing. And, 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 but the difference is now when we say someone says no for a job, there's another hundred we can apply for. A thousand years ago, what that meant was you got rejected and you weren't able to live anymore because the way the society worked then, it was like hunt or be hunt or be killed basically. Like we were in completely different um, scenario back then. So I think our, a lot of our evolution comes from that sort of stuff that's thousand years old. And we and it takes time to like train your brain to like move out of that when you can. So, uh, and a lot of the time you're not gonna do that, right? Like you, we're still gonna like want the piece of chocolate because it tastes nice or whatever, like the instant gratification is still there. Nowadays it's in digital form. We get a dopamine hit every time we open up Twitter and we got like 22 likes on the post or whatever. Like that is the same feeling we might have got a thousand years ago when we saw a berry in the in the tree and we like went and grabbed it and we got that sugar rush for like one minute. So it's just it's just like fighting those primal things that we've had forever um, in new forms. 
Absolutely. And two anecdotes, maybe one thing was before the podcast, I was quite nervous, quote unquote, because I contacted you and you have quite a reach on Twitter. And I thought, what if I interview Bilal and I say something stupid? But actually, it doesn't, ca- it doesn't matter so much because at the end of the day, I just iterate and next time I will do it better, right? So this is something I... Yeah, I'll, you're doing a great job, man. And I don't even have that much of a following at all, but it's just like... Uh, yeah, I, I try not to worry about the the people's follow account, all that stuff. Because the interesting thing is the people that I've interviewed with the biggest followers are often the most chill. Like like Pomp has like 500,000 followers. Mm. And and there's other people I know who have like a thousand followers who are more impressive than Pomp. And and, and I love Pomp. I think he's great. But just I'd like the, the founder of Square, like he's a billionaire who created Square. He was an artist who created one of the number one businesses in the last 10 years. He has like a couple thousand or maybe five, 10,000 people following him now, but he's got a book. Like, you know, it's just a complete different skill. Pomp is great at writing 50 tweets a day. He's funny. He can summarize ideas and that's made for Twitter. So he won at the Twitter game, whereas someone else won at another thing. So I just tried to treat, like I'll treat that person the same way I'll treat like an 18 year old who's, who's looking for help because well, at the end of the day, we can learn from all those people and we're just all humans at the end of the day, you know, like there's obviously you have to show respect, but like also not put them on a pedestal, in my opinion, because they're just flawed humans, you know, like the way we are, we're, we're all the same, man. Yeah, definitely. And before we jump to numbers, the second anecdote was because he talked about it. I was on LinkedIn when I f- first got started on YouTube and I contacted 1000 people to subscribe wow. to my YouTube channel. And out of, out of the out of those 1,000, I think only 10 or 15 subscribed. So then you felt a that's, bit demotivated, but you took the road actually and uh, did the hustle, so to speak. No, that's, comp- and that's literally the funnel we talked about, right? Like awareness, interest, desire, action. Yeah. You made a thousand people aware. It got smaller, only maybe five, 10% of them even read it, you know? And then a few managed to contact you back and, and that's just how it works. So the game is really like looking at how can I make top of funnel bigger? And then how can I make that interest amount slightly higher percentage because I've, I've done the work to figure out who those people are and they're more likely gonna resonate with this. And, and man, you're killing it now. Like I think you've got like more than 10,000 subscribers already. So uh, it's clearly been growing. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. And this is one thing I want to talk about because numbers don't not only mean, or not every time mean that you actually succeeded, because I think you mentioned it in the podcast with Jack Butch. I'm not sure which episode it was. I have to rem- remember it, uh, but I don't remember it right now. It was when you talked about this guy, this influencer who has like hundreds of thousands of followers, but actually one bought something from him. You know that? Yeah, it was like crazy. less than a one or two t-shirts. I think it was like they tried to sell t-shirts and they could only sell like less than 10 or something like that. And that's not the reason we use that example think Jack did a great job of summarizing it, but it's not to say that influencer in air quotes is a complete failure, like because they couldn't sell 10 t-shirts. It was the fact that those 10 t-shirts probably weren't the right thing to sell. Mm-hmm. So the, the, what Jack said, and if people don't know who Jack is, you should check out his Instagram is at visualize value. He, he does his really cool, um, like he shares ideas in simple ways visually. Um, so he, he said like if he created a cosmetics brand like makeup, no one's going to buy that from him because he's not known for makeup. Like he doesn't know anything about it. But he puts on like he puts like a little visualized value like slogan on a hoodie and people buy it because mm. it's kind of funny. And it's, it resonates with like the ideas he's sharing and talking about. I think he is one of the best out there at doing what he's doing, niching down, understanding a certain mindset and like keep hammering it out. And I've seen him, like we've basically become friends now. And like I was talking to him literally today and like the stuff that he is putting out, like even he's created a little meme account just for fun. And the meme account is so specific. It's not just generic memes. It's using the ideas he normally talks about and making kind of funny memes about it. Mm. So like if you share that with your parents, they might not find it funny, but if people like us who follow that already, it will resonate deeper. So it's definitely worth thinking about. Uh, funny how small the world is because I took both of Jack's courses like uh, build once sell twice and the other one visualize value um, yeah. and it's funny because I create uh, I created I'm think on day 141 right now creating small visuals because I learned it from Jack oh amazing but but it doesn't matter because it gets sometimes only two or three likes but I actually enjoy it so much that I don't care about the likes it's just that's, being in the creative process 
Completely. No, that's, and I think that's the way, I mean, there's a fine line, right? Because it, again, it comes back to your goal, right? If your goal is to grow exponentially and, and get X number of followers and do all that, like, and that's nothing wrong with that goal. It's just sometimes it's a distracting goal for a lot of people because it's so visceral and it just stands out so much, you know, and people see it visually. Um, but like what you just said there was similar to what I said, right? It was about the craft of creating. And if yes. you're enjoying it, finding those things that are like play to you, as you said, then you're kind of winning already. Like that process, you're enjoying that process. I think the problem is for some people, they take that too far and in the back of the head, they secretly really do want to grow and they're using that as an excuse, mm-hmm. right? And, and, there, and, and there's an element of both of those things. So as, if you genuinely like doing it and you're, you're improving your craft through that and you're sharing stuff that you enjoy, I think it's great. But um, yeah, it's just a matter of like figuring out what the goal is. Yeah. When it comes to being consistent, actually putting out stuff on a consistent basis, what advice would you give maybe your 18 year old younger self and maybe the audience listening to this podcast right now? How can you be consistent? Yeah. And I'll be honest about myself. I haven't been until recently. So, uh, I mean, I have in other areas of my life, but the podcast I've been doing for five years. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I recorded 10 episodes. I put them out every two weeks, I think it was originally. Um, but I had a full-time job and that completely took over after I started my new job. So like quick backstory is the episode two of the podcast is with Scott Harrison, founder of Charity Water. After interviewing him, I joined Charity Water like nine months later because we li- liked the conversation that much. We kind of stayed in touch and then I was like, oh, I'm actually inspired to go and work there. When I started that job, my podcast dropped off because, you know, as much as my intent was to keep it going, it was really difficult because you're starting a new job. It was like quite a big role. I'm managing a whole team. I'm trying to learn about this new industry that I know nothing about, right? And it's starting from scratch basically. And uh, so I had to dedicate my time to that. So I didn't stay consistent. What I've managed to do now in the last, you know, like I guess the last year or so, um, I have been really consistent. And the only way I've been able to do that is one thing is making room for it and treating it like a job. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't, I don't just say, oh, it's a side project anymore. I'm like, oh, this is half my time. This is what I spend is on the podcast. And again, coming back to that feeling of that embarrassed feeling, like are people going to say, well, oh, well, do you make a living from that? Like how much money do you make? Are you making the same money you made before? And that's all the stuff that people worry about, right? But I'm comfortable being like, well, no, this is something that is a part of my life. I do it for many different reasons. It takes up half my time. Um, that's the first part. Because a lot of people, if you're doing a full-time job, it is very difficult to, to balance both. Definitely, you can do that. I'm sure you're doing it right now. But there's, um, it's just a matter of like figuring out how it fits into your life. Second thing that really helped me, it was committing to a regular cadence for me was once every Wednesday uh, to put an episode out. And I said that publicly. I said it on Twitter. I got interviewed for the Hustle newsletter and, and they they shared it in the newsletter that I was doing every week. So once that was out there, I was like, okay, I, I need to stick to this now. Um, and since then I've done that. And, and then the last part is just like, try to make it easy for yourself. Like don't overthink all the details, like just use the same templates. Um, but also I think it's important to, only put stuff out that is high quality that you that you care about. So that's something I've challenged myself this year. Is like I I was looking at my episodes last night and I was like I genuinely am not like I'm happy about every single episode I've put out. Like in different, I'm not expecting everyone to like every single episode, but I did, you know, because there, it was something I was interested in. We took out the stuff I didn't think that was useful for people, and they were all really good people. So that's kind of the challenge is for the rest of the year. I need to do this every week and only have great guests and only do high quality stuff. So it's about setting the parameters for me anyway, the parameters that will help me um, understand what is what's the quality I'm going for and then also what's the cadence that I'm actually going to be able to, to keep it going for. Mm-hmm. What do you see yourself uh, as be- being an individual in the world? How do you personally manage to make the world a better place? Apart from having the great podcast, of course. Is, yes, it, some, is uh, it something you think about, Bilan? Yeah, definitely. No, it's a great question. It's quite a deep question. I mean, I'd say that it's, um, it's something I've thought about a lot because if you think about my background, I went from teenage entrepreneur trying to make money to a big company where I became too comfortable 
you know, I was not like rich, but I was like comfortable, right? Like I could live a decent life. Then I went the other direction where I went to a nonprofit where I was clearly chasing something which was about doing good for the world, which I think is a noble thing if done for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the people there are doing that. Um, so I've definitely seen, I think, experienced both sides of that. Now I'm, where I'm at is I think it starts with me as an individual. Like how do I, in my own small way, make sure every day I'm living the best I can um, for the people that are closest to me first. So that's my family, uh, my girlfriend, um, my friends, like that's basically it right now because we're not really seeing many friends actually. So just the, the small group of people that I'm speaking to every day, how can I make sure I'm there for them? Because that's already difficult, you know, like with aging parents, yeah. stuff that's going on in their lives. That's my first step, right? If I can get that down, then I can look slightly wider. How can I help my community, right? And and for me, that's like for me, my community right now is a partly the podcast. Like, so the people that um, care about the same ideas that I care about is basically my virtual community, right? Um, so people like you, like you and I, if we hung out in person, I'm sure we would be talking for hours because we have these shared values. Yeah. We care about growth and, and doing good, doing things in a in a certain way. Um, and we probably both agree that entrepreneurship or at least creating things can create create some good. Like I'm not saying entrepreneurship is like saving the world all the time because there's plenty of people who are doing stuff that's bad as well. But in general, if you just think in a capitalistic system anyway, the way things get, uh, if someone buys something from you, they are buying it because you're exchanging value. So like in the purest sense, as much as it's not like, you know, curing kids cancer, like in a purest sense, you have created something that someone else likes and they're sharing their exchange time, which is money uh, for that thing that you've created. And also obviously it creates jobs, it creates uh, opportunities, innovation, that sort of stuff. So I I've, have a huge passion for that, obviously. I don't think that's for everyone though, right? Like for someone else that's becoming a lawyer and changing the world through the court system and writing legislation. I think that's incredible too. For someone else who's going into politics, definitely not for me. Like I'm the opposite end of the spectrum on that side. But I know I have friends who are really good at that. They're great at navigating that world and they can change the world in their way, in that way too. So I think it's just about like finding your lane and, and uh, being true to yourself, having the humility, like you said, to say, okay, what am I and what am I not? I'm definitely not a politician. I, I could never be a real politician in today's form anyway, because I'm way too, ra like I'm gonna say wild stuff that I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> because I'm, cause I get really frustrated when people are just like lying yeah. and saying stuff that is just like clearly politically driven. I, I just get turned off by that. So for me, as you know, from listening to the podcast, I'll try to call it like it is. When I agree with something, I'll agree. When I don't agree with something, I'll try to, in a respectful way, push back and try to explore that idea. And with nuance, which the, the podcast gives room for nuance. In politics, you, even now, like you do a presidential debate and you get like a few minutes to, to say your point on education. Like how, like every, every president should in the future have to go on a Joe Rogan podcast for four hours and talk about their politics, in my opinion, or like some form like that, uncut, no, no, no one in the audience, just like two people expanding on those ideas. We would learn so much about them, but unfortunately the way it still works, it's all based on popularity, you know, saying the right thing. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that, for that reason, it's definitely not for me. Yeah. Where do we see Bilal in five to 10 years? What projects have you planned? Yeah, I'd say at the moment, it's really just, um, I, I shared this recently, but I'm just really trying to just focus on now, like, and not to not answer your question, but like, I think for a long time, I've always thought about five, 10 years from now, and I have this big master plan, but now I'm just really focused on like enjoying the moment, not to sound too Zen, but just like be here. If I'm enjoying what I'm doing, let me keep growing every day. Um, like something I, I wrote recently was like 10x in the macro and Kaizen in the micro. And what I mean by that is we hear about is 10x moonshot thinking, which is how can you use technology to create something that's so much better? Like if, if I ever create a company, like a proper company one day, I would love to try to think of that as a, a framework. And then but Kaizen, which is continuous improvement every day, that's like the Japanese approach, yeah. right? That 
that to me is like more of on a personal micro level, like every day, how can I be a little bit better? How can I improve my podcast a tiny bit better? How can I learn the craft of interviewing? Um, how can I write better notes? How can I share this out to more people? Those things are more iterative. So I try to focus big, big picture, long term. Are there, are there like big trends that are, are growing that I can be a part of? So, I mean, podcasting was a part of that, like when I started five, five years ago. Now I'm looking at blockchain, I'm looking at NFTs and all the crazy new stuff that's going on in that world. Um, so I invest like my own money in, in stuff like that because I'm, I'm thinking longer term, how can I keep um, money growing on my own personal side so that I can do more with my time? Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of like on the investing side and like business side. I don't know if I'll be doing the same thing on terms of like marketing consultancy stuff. I think that's been more like a stopgap for now. You know, like I, I like doing it. I'm not against doing it, but it's not like my life's work. You know, it's just something that I'm good at. Um, but, you know, maybe one day that would be at a company or my own company where I'd like um, lead the marketing or something like that. Um, but I don't know, man, I'm, I'm pretty open to exploring what that would be. I, I think for the moment it feels it's going to be more in this entrepreneurial realm, which is creating stuff myself, uh, you know, working, um, with smart people and, uh, yeah, just keep, keep doing what I'm doing at the moment, man. This is great to hear. Um, would you say you have found your purpose in life with a podcast, with everything you're doing right now? Not necessarily. I mean, I think it's a good question. Let me think about that for a second. I mean, I won't say one thing. I definitely won't say a podcast is, is that, but um, I, it definitely feels that feeling of what drives me. So I, I'd say the purpose to me is more about, there's different levels to it, but for me, it's about what drives me. So learning drives me, mm -hmm. meeting great people drives me, amazing conversation drives me, like that gives me energy. And if I can take those skills that I feel like I'm naturally quite a good conversationalist and I'm able to, take out stuff and use the time that I, I take to research at a level that people notice that they're like, oh wow, that was incredibly well researched. That's because I cared enough to do the research. So that, those are all my skills. And so I, I'd say like the purpose is marrying like your skills, your unique skills and superpowers in a way with like what's valuable for people in the, in the wider term. One day that might just be having kids, you know, like to be frank, if I had a, a kid, my purpose at the moment would probably be the kid, you know, and, and everything else might go out the window. So it just really, it's hard for me to say now what I'd feel like in that moment. But um, speaking to older, wiser people than me, that often seems to be the case. Like they get to that stage and they say, well, yeah, all this other stuff was driving me previously, but now I realize actually what I need to be is, is this for this person. So yeah, I don't know if I've necessarily found a purpose. I think purpose is evolving, you know? I don't think it's just one thing. Yeah. I think purpose is also understanding yourself and developing yourself enough that as you evolve and grow, you continue to become aware of that. And that way you're able to continue feeding that part of you, you know? So um, like what I, my purpose five, well, four years ago was very different because it was very pure, leave Google, go and serve a charity. And, and I thought that was at that, for that moment in time, it was perfect, it was great. But as I was there longer, I realized actually what I'm really good at is, is this sort of stuff and, uh, well, business anyway. And um, a lot of what I found with Charity Water was my job there became working with businesses to raise money for, for clean water, which was, which was a lot of fun but I was probably better suited to be on the other side eventually, you know? So um, I would rather at the moment work, work on the stuff that I'm good at, make more money and then be able to give back with, with uh, time and money in the long run. At the same time, in those two years I was there, I was able to collectively with my team anyway, I probably was able to help more people through their collective work than I will in my whole lifetime, right? Because there's the infrastructure of the organization and the money we raised, to put it frankly, was like tens of millions of dollars. I can't necessarily give tens of millions of dollars, well, I definitely can't right now, to a charity, right? So just that alone was, that helped hundreds of thousands of people. So that, 
and that's not just me but it's me as part of a bigger whole mm -hmm. so it kind of comes back to what we said earlier sometimes the best thing to do is to go join someone else who's already done the legwork scott harrison founded chaitawa spent 10 years convincing the most you know successful business people in the world this is a new way to do charity i'm going to show you exactly how we do it and i'm going to hire people from places like google and uber and twitter to help make this happen and i could then come in as someone who had those skills, you know, to like help in my own little way. So yeah, it's, it's really, I don't think there's one answer to it, but that's kind of how I feel about it right now. A very well answered, Bilal, I appreciate it. And very well thought out answer as well. Um, one last question before we come to the uh, question rampage is, do you feel that you have an ha a hunger inside of you? And do you think that because something happened in the past of your maybe younger self or when you were a child, that this hunger increased and then kind of, um, vanished while you were working at Google and then it like spark sparked something inside of you again yeah you see me smiling right because uh, I don't I don't know if you heard the episode with Nick Cooper but it just went live and this morning I was writing a little summary of this so I'll share this with you when it comes out mm -hmm. but just look on my Twitter for a clip I wrote about dealing with bullying and racism because it was about this topic okay and yeah I completely um, in hindsight I'm probably the happiest I've ever been now, yeah, which is which is great. But because of some things that happened as a younger person, again, I'm incredibly lucky. Like I grew up in in London, I spoke English, I was smart enough to go to good school. So I, the the genetic lottery in many ways was was great. So I can't complain about that. But I did suffer from some bad stuff. I was in pretty bad environments at times. Uh, I got bullied a bit at times. There was a lot of racism, mm. especially after 9-11. There was some really bad stuff in the part of London where I lived. Um, so yeah, I, I saw some like pretty bad stuff with like gang violence and, and stuff like that too. So it was just, I mean, I wasn't in a gang, but there were people around me that, that were and I could see some really bad stuff happening. That stuff, as you get older, you realize that is traumatizing. You know, the more you then speak to therapists and you learn from them, you're like, oh wow, that's been sitting on my, in the back of my brain somewhere. And the way I reacted in that moment where I flipped out and got angry is partly because of that. So mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of healing that needs to happen. Definitely a work in progress forever. But I think now I'm as control of those sort of emotions and uh, at least I can place those feelings um, and say, oh, I'm feeling this right now because of what happened to me at this age. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, definitely. And because I can relate somehow. And I think also yeah. that once you saw the beauty of life, you kind of work more on the beauty rather than in the dark. Yeah, oh, that's beautifully put, man. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's, I also think sometimes it comes from being in a better place. So when yeah. I left that school where I had a bit of a bad time, at 16, that's when I started my e-commerce business and I created this new identity naturally. Like I wasn't like forming a brand or whatever people say nowadays. That was just me on the playground selling people hats and selling clothes. And then I was like, oh, I can sell this on the internet. And that, that was just a very natural progression. But that created this new identity for myself. And <clears throat> sorry, All good. when you get good at something, you kind of get addicted to that feeling, right? Because you find something you like doing. Mm -hmm. And um, and then you get confidence, which is incredibly important for everyone, but especially, uh, I can just say as a young man, uh, I think it's important for everyone, but I'm speaking as a, as, a, as a guy. As a young man, if you are going out in the world and you're not confident with who you are, it's, it's very difficult because there are certain things where you're gonna be expected to do things that, you, that you're gonna not even approach because you were too scared to do it. Yeah. And if I now think, oh, I'm, go I'm not gonna speak to this person because I'm afraid of them rejecting me or something like that, that is a really difficult thing you never get rid of. So you have to like process that by the reps of like practicing essentially and go and be, be okay with feeling that feeling again. Um, and, and dealing with it and understanding wh where that feeling is coming from. I think we're also going to a stage now where people like are worried about any discomfort at all. You know, like when people feel a little sad, automatically we will say, oh, this person is depressed and now we need to give them pills. Sometimes they do, like I'm not against people who need that for sure, but sometimes they, they, they need a change of scenario, you mm -hmm. know, and, and um, 
So I think it just depends. Like for me, I, I could easily have gone to a doctor here and they might have given me some pills to take. I'm glad I didn't because that wouldn't have helped me at the time, I don't think. I needed to get out of my comfort zone and, and try different things and, and motivate myself to, to move in a new direction and to change my reality. If you're not loving your nine to five every day and you come home and you're in a bad relationship or you hate your husband or wife and your kids are screaming and shouting at you, like maybe that's a part of the problem, you know what I mean? Mm. So maybe it's not just the fact that your brain chemicals are in a certain way. And I'm not diminishing like people who actually do have that. I have pe very close people to me that suffer from real clinical depression and they need as much help as anyone. So, but there's a fine line, there's a nuance to both of those ideas. Yeah, and to wrap, wrap it up before we finally go to the question room pitch, I think because you suffered in your childhood, because that's also what I experienced myself is that kind of you, try to find yourself more, you have conversations with yourself. This is how you develop better emotional intelligence and kind of develop this better plasticity inside of your brain. I'm not a neuroscientist by any means, but I think this no, is what it is. True. Then you can adapt to situations better, especially when it's like a sad situation or overwhelming situation. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, I think being able to adapt is like one of the biggest superpowers. At the same time, to complete that thought, I think sometimes I got to the stage where I was adapting too much. Yeah. where like every new scenario I went into, I was the one expecting myself just to adapt to that person, yeah. whether that's a new friend or whatever. And I would say, oh, well, what this person, I'd place that person, they're like, oh, they're, I'm just thinking in Dublin when I lived there. This person is from Germany. They've never met someone like me or the person that they know is called Bilal is a Turkish immigrant in Berlin. And like, and I would like figure out these little things and yeah. I would try my best to like build a bridge, which is a good skill. But sometimes I need to just say, I'm Bilal from London, what's going on? You know what I mean? So it's just like yeah. that, it, being comfortable with that takes time because at that age, I didn't necessarily know who I was. I was still developing it. Whereas now I feel very comfortable in, in who I am, you know? Exactly. I can completely relate, Bilal. I appreciate it sharing with you. Uh, sharing course, this man. with yeah. us. Um, apart from all the theoretical stuff, which we talked about, about marketing, Lots of personal stuff. So finally, the question rampage, Bilal, I have prepared 10 questions for you. And optimally, you answer Let's them in one it. sentence or maybe two sentences uh, as you want. I'll try my best. All right, go. <laughs> okay. Question number one. What are you most proud of? Oh, that's hard. Uh, I, I will say uh, the thing that came in my head, to be honest, is my parents. And that sounds like a very... Um, cliche answer but I just think I'm most proud of them because they came to the UK as like poor immigrants they built a great life for us as a family mm -hmm. and they're very loving and, and caring and uh, yes yeah, so I'd, I'd say that yeah perfect question number two what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it this is hard to say in one sentence but I'll say the the biggest failure was probably at time in Google when I was there. I did generally pretty well, but there was one stage where I kind of, um, like what's the word, when you just uh, check out. You know, so I, I checked out because I didn't love what I was doing and I didn't, I didn't have a green card, I couldn't really leave. And I think that was not a good thing because uh, that's a waste of time for everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. So overall, I still did fine. I did my job fine, but it was not, I wasn't thriving the way I was known to be someone who was like pushing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And at that stage, I, I, I probably wasn't. Question number three, what advice would you give someone wanting to be as good in podcasting as you are? <laughs> Take it seriously, commit to it, invest up front in good quality audio it doesn't have to be 500 like this but it should could be like 50 dollars or 50 euros of good equipment that you can get um and practice a lot and just don't worry about the first 20 episodes being terrible just you know just keep trying and commit to a schedule stick to it like i didn't do that but uh, in hindsight that would be definitely worth doing great great advice appreciate it and if you could spend one day with a celebrity who would it be uh thierry Henry, who's a <laughs> football player yeah. he's my favorite arsenal footballer 
there's lots of people. It's just for some reason that came to mind first because, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge, huge Arsenal fan and he's my favourite Arsenal player. Mm -hmm. uh, podcast you enjoyed recording the most? Oh, that's, that's hard. <laughs> that's a hard one. Oh, uh, if I'm picking one, I'd say in recent times because it, this my I've got like a short-term memory right now <laughs> um, or recency bias. I'd say probably Jack Butcher's one, maybe the original one. I think the second one we did live was really good too, but it's a different experience. Mm -hmm. And I'd already known him by that point, whereas the first time it was, I was almost surprised how good uh, and interesting it was. Everything just clicked. And it felt like I made a new friend and uh, I feel like I have. So I'd say his. Uh, and then in long, I will add one more. Uh, I'll add two more, actually. I know I'm cheating, but this <laughs> is okay. Scott Harrison, episode two, because that kind of changed my career and yeah. life in many ways. And it was really meaningful. And then I'll say Gary V. I interviewed him uh, a few years later. And I won't even say it was my favorite interview. I think it was a good interview, but it was only half an hour, 20, 30 minutes. But the whole environment was crazy. Like I was there live. Netflix was outside shooting with him. There's a famous rapper outside. There's like 12 people around us. It was just quite a surreal moment. So I'd say that was pretty cool too. I have to watch that one. I have it still open in my browser. I have to watch it. Oh yeah, check out. There's a video for that on his channel. Not my, I've, I haven't put it on mine, but um, you, if you go on my website, you can. You should be able to see it there. Yeah, I think if so. If not, I'd ping me, I'll, 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 I'll send it to you. Yeah, excellent. Um, three most influential people in your life. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's probably fairly easy again, but like, yeah, my two parents, uh, mom and dad and my girlfriend, uh, she's, I've been with her for some time and she's very, uh, yeah, she's my partner, you know, so she balances everything out. And uh, yeah, so I'd say those three people. Mm -hmm. Great. Favorite movie? Oh, that's hard as well. <laughs> I thought that was one. an easy one. So. <laughs> no, I mean, to say one, I, I mean, if it was one, I'd probably say Goodfellas. I mean, there's so many, but like Goodfellas, I, I could watch. I've watched like 20 times. There's so many of those. Stuff. I, I'd probably give like a top five, like American History X I love, City of God, Pulp Fiction, um, The Matrix. Yeah, uh, there's so many. I mean, there's okay, so okay. many. But we will let you cheat probably. here. We let we let you cheat here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was okay. all great, though. <laughs> okay, three last questions. If you would be in my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I did not? I don't know if you borrowed that from me. I asked that sometimes too, but really, I <laughs> oh, I asked that sometimes. Really? Oh, you, no, other people ask it too, but yeah, that's a good question. Uh, what would you have asked me? Mm, let me think about that. I don't know. Nothing's really coming to mind. Um, I guess like a pivotal moment or something like that. But I think you already kind of covered that in some yes. ways because you had done research to know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess a pivotal moment or something that maybe people don't know about me, which I also probably shared in the, the spoken word. Probably because yeah, I don't know. yeah, probably your expertise as well as your personal life. So yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's anything that's coming to mind to be honest, but yeah. So, but it's 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 fine. One cool. superpower you would like to have? Uh, being more concise. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And that's last, a hard one. Okay, last question, Bilal. Um, related to that one as well. If you were a superhero, what would your name be? <laughs> Funny one at the end. Create a man. I don't know. Create a man. <laughs> Create a man. Just stay on brand. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that. I'd say that. Actually, I'd say Pac Man. That's quite a funny one too, because um, Pakistani and it sounds like the 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 game character. So yeah, that's I'd a good one. Too. Yeah, I like it. That's a good one. Be like anything that's else you would man. like to tell the audience because we're running out of time and you have another meeting. So no, no, so good, man. Yeah, thanks for doing it. Thanks for spending time researching and listening to podcasts. I really appreciate, it, man. And if you're listening to this you're interested obviously yeah just if you're watching on youtube just open a new tab and search for creator lab it's on there or if you prefer to listen just open your podcast app and subscribe there uh creator lab is the orange thumbnail um and if you're trying it for the first time maybe check out some of the episodes we talked about jack butcher's episode um there's ones with sam Parr, the founder of the hustle which is all about paid email the founder of square 
Polina Marinova. We talk about frameworks. Um, there's so many good ones, but like, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Um, tweet me on at Beads80 on Twitter too. That's where I spend most of my time. So yeah, DM me or, or tweet this and share that you listened and we'd love to, to chat more. Perfect. Now I'll put everything down in the description. I'll just pack it full oh, of links. Everything is perfect. Good. And I hope that we'll maybe have a second part because the first part was like excellent. I really appreciate you taking the time being on the show and sharing yeah, so many personal moments as, as well. Uh, so I really appreciate that, Bilal. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, appreciate it. I know it's, it's Friday night there for you in Germany. So yes. thanks for uh, doing this on a Friday night. Definitely. Really enjoyed it. Th take, thank you so much and take care, Bilal. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, bye-bye.